Turn in your Bibles to Revelation. Revelation. Chapter 2. Revelation 2, verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh Will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that received it. Verse 26, 27, 28, and 29. And he that overcometh, and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I have received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Chapter 3, verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Verse 12. Him that overcometh, Will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 6 and 7. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And back to... Chapter 3, verse 21. It says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. God bless you all for coming. It's good to see you here on a Friday night. You know, the Friday nights, you, you could be doing a lot of other things, couldn't you? But it's good that you chose to come to the house of God. God bless you for that. So any ideas what I'm going to talk about tonight? Overcomer. Are you an overcomer? 
He that overcometh. That's present tense. Right? Right now. So is Jesus talking in verse 21, is he talking about a future time when we will sit with him in his throne or is he talking about now? Listen to Ephesians 2, verse 6. It says, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I think we can sit with him now. There is a place. When you are an overcomer, you have a place in Jesus Christ that those that are being overcome do not. And I believe in that, that place is next to Jesus where there's fellowship, there's security, there's direction. And we could talk about more, what, what, more about what happens there, but not right now. Further, that verse says in verse 21 there, it says, even as I also overcame. You know, Jesus was tried. He was tempted. He, was, he had things come at him, but he overcame successfully. And it says, you can be an overcomer, even as I overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. You too can be an overcomer. Now, overcoming speaks of struggle. Most times, it takes a lot of struggle, it takes a lot of effort or perseverance or endurance to overcome something, doesn't it? Sometimes it takes patience to overcome something. And I believe sometimes that overcoming is a process. You know, life without struggle is almost impossible. Struggle or war is impossible. It's that way in nature. It's that way in our spiritual life. The very fact that we have a certain amount of health, be it mentally, physically, morally, spiritual, it's because of a struggle. There is some kind of antagonism going on. It's a fact of life. Without struggle, there's no life. When you plant something in your garden, what happens? What happens? Okay, what has to happen to that seed, first of all? It has to die. And then it has to push its way up through the ground. It needs sunshine. It needs moisture. It needs proper nutrients. If it doesn't get those, it won't grow. There's a struggle. It needs all those proper nutrients for it to grow. It needs proper care and nourishment. It's fighting for life. But when you add God, the odds are tremendously uh, um, decreased for having, having a problem. Most things outside of the body, most things outside of our body have the pole of death on it. There are germs all around us. And you know, if you have an open sore on your hand or your arm and and a germ comes in there, you know what happens to your body? What happens? Do we have any doctors here? (laughs) What happens when a germ enters your body? Okay, unless... Unless what? 
Unless your body fights it off. White blood cells will come and attack that germ, and they'll fight, and they'll fight, and they'll fight, and they'll make that ineffective. If it doesn't, you'll get an infection. So because of struggle, things that you don't even see, you have a certain amount of health in your body. So it is in the spiritual life. And I'd, say, I'd like to say this evening that you're either being overcome or you're an overcomer. It's one or the other. There's not a middle ground here. You're either being overcome or you're an overcomer. Now to be overcome takes no effort at all. It takes no diligence, no backbone, no strength. Weaklings qualify for this. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. It's the path of the least resistance to be overcome. We're born with that natural bend to sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Psalm 53.3 says, Every one of them has gone back. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. It looks like the odds are very stacked very high against us, doesn't it? To be overcome. But again, when we add God to the picture, the odds are greatly reduced. The odds are greatly reduced. Why did God make us with a sinful nature? Why, why did... It seems we're born losers. I guess he didn't. I guess man sinned, and then we received. But, you know, God could have made us robotic. Wouldn't that be nice if we would be robots? We would just do whatever he would say. We wouldn't have to do anything. We would just always be good. There would never be anything bad. Wouldn't that be so nice? We could be robotic. Wouldn't that bless God? That's not very nice, is it? Well, I want to tell you, I want to ask you another question. If you wanted to make some new friends, you'd walk up to someone and say, you know, I'd like to have a friend. I'd like for you to be my friend. You know, I, I really want a friend, so I want you to like me. Could, could you please love me? You kind of look at them and say, yeah, yeah, I, I, that's what I mean. I, love me. Could you please love You'd probably run as fast as you could go, right? But when someone comes up to you and says, you know what? I, I know how you are, but you know what? I want to be your friend. I, I, I love you. I, I love being around you. I, I just like, I know you've got some problems, but, but I like being around doesn't that put warm circles around your heart? Doesn't that make you want to love them back? And I believe that was the plan of God. God came down and he loved us and he was hoping that you would love him back because of his love. He loved us while we were in sin. And he's hoping that you love him back. 
Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants a volunteer army. He's looking for volunteers. He wants you to love him voluntarily. The Bible says in 1 John 4, verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. He wants that love to be reciprocated back to him. You see, love begets love. Another reason I believe God wants us to be volunteers is, you know, when you work with a group of volunteers, if people are there because they want to be there, you can get a lot of work done, right? You can get a lot of work done. And a lot of times, volunteers will do more than they'll ask. But if someone has to be there, look out, boys. That's, that's hard. I mean, they're not going to do more than they have to. God wants volunteers. God wants you here because you want to be here, not because you have to be here. He wants you here voluntarily. I believe that's one of the reasons why he gave us a choice. He wanted you to come voluntarily. Now, what's the reason for temptations, for trials, and difficulties? Why do we have temptations? Well, I believe one reason, Deuteronomy 13.3, it says, Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I believe the Lord wants to know wants you to know whether you love him or no. He wants to see if anything has taken his place or no. And he sends you temptations, trials, to see if anything has taken his place. And he gives you an opportunity to show this. So, the, number one, the Lord tries us to see if anything has taken his place. Number two, the Bible says in James 1, verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Do you get excited when you get tempted? You get all excited. The Bible says, count it all joy. You know what's happening when you're tempted? There's one thing for sure the devil doesn't have you. He's trying to get you. You should be excited if you're being tempted. What The, the Bible further goes on to say, because the trying of your faith does what? It works patience. It works long-suffering. It works gentleness. It works patience. God is trying to beautify you with the things that he sends you. I believe, number two, that God is trying to beautify us with the things that he sends us. Job 23 verse 10 says, But he knoweth the way that I, hate, that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. 
as gold. I have a quote here. It says, The hotter the fire, the more pure the gold. The brighter it glows, the more valuable it is. The hotter the fire, the more pure the gold. The brighter it glows, and the more valuable it is. If you ever, if you ever get a chance, uh, look into how gold is separated from the dross. That's an interesting process. Very interesting. Number three, another reason I believe the Lord sends us trials and testings is found in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'd just like to look at that verse. Deuteronomy 8. And I'm going to start in verse 3. I'll read just verse 3. In chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, verse 3. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread alone. No, that's not the worst verse I wanted. I wanted verse 2, actually. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee, and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou would keep us, wouldst keep his commandments or no. Now there it says that the Lord wants to know what is in your heart. Now, do you think the Lord needs to find out what's in your heart? Does the Lord need to find out what's in your heart? Or does he know? He knows already. Who needs to know what's in your heart? You need to know. I believe the Lord sends us trials so you know what's in your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the Lord sends us trials and temptations so you can see how you respond. How have you been doing? What's your heart look like? What's in your heart? God's trying to show us what's in our heart by the things that he sends us. So temptation is valuable to us in that it shows us if anything has taken the place of God. It beautifies us and it shows us what's in our heart. And there's one more. I believe we have temptations and trials because without resistance and without opposition, there's no fulfillment. So we all like fulfillment, right? But we don't like trials. We don't like temptations. We, we'd like to get rid of them as fast as we can. But without opposition, there's no fulfillment. You know, the world is looking for fulfillment also. But you know where they go? They go the path of least resistance to find fulfillment, and they're not finding it. It's only when you overcome, when you get victory, that you get fulfillment. So do you all play ball around here? You play ball sometimes? You know how to play ball, right? So suppose we're going to go play ball, boys, and everybody likes to hit a home run, right? I mean, especially young men and boys, let's hit a home run. Well, I'll I tell you, next time you play ball, you could do this. 
we're going to go play ball, and we just have one team. Just one team. It's, it's, it's the batting team, all right? And so you could go in there, you hit a home run. And the next guy gets up, and he hits a home run. And you could hit a home run for three hours straight. You could rack up 150 points. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be so much fun, wouldn't it? You say, how boring. Why? Because there's no opposition. But when there's tough competition, when there's tough opposition, and you overcome, <laughs> that's sweet, isn't it? Without opposition, there's no fulfillment. And without opposition, there's no victory. And victory brings satisfaction and fulfillment. Temptation is valuable in that it brings us satisfaction when we overcome. Now, why is it that so often we are overcome? Can you see that? Mm, that's scary. I'll just hold it for now. So, so one of these has water, water, and this is gas. You want a drink? You have either one. Which one would you choose? Huh? Why? Well, it's liquid. What's wrong with the other one? Reminds me of a story I heard. You know how cats are. You step out the door and all the cats come running. Well, this one guy, he, he decided he's going to, he put a pan out there and all the cats came running. He poured some gas in there. And the cat came up there and drank some. All of a sudden, it took off running around the house. It got halfway around the house and fell over. Ran out of gas. <laughs> so anyway, which one would you drink? You'd say you wouldn't drink that gas because, because why? You're going to die. You know why I think that so many times we're overcome by sin? If we knew that if we lied, in five minutes, you'd be dead, would you do it? Would you do it? You say, no way! If you did some other thing that you knew was wrong, and in five minutes you're going to die if you do it, would you do it? No. But because it's not immediate, we think we're going to get by. But the Bible says... That sin is just as deadly. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So what do we need to be an overcomer? What's one thing that we need? To be an overcomer. Well, one word. Can you think of one word that we need to be an overcomer? 
What's that? Courage. Courage, that's good. That's not the one I was thinking of. To overcome in anything, you need strength or power, right? You need more power than the thing coming at you, or you're going to be overcome. Power. This power for overcoming spiritually, we can't develop on our own. We need someone to give us this power. In Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And I'd like to say this evening, if you're not a Christian, you are powerless. Because all power comes from Christ. It's that Christ within us that gives us power to be an overcomer. John 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The Lord gives us power to become sons. Power to change the things that are not according to the Scriptures. And power to do the things the Scriptures said we should do. Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So we, we've examined the reasons for temptation to see if anything is taking the place of God to beautify you so you can see what you're, what's in your heart and to bring you satisfaction and fulfillment. We can be overcomers. We can be overcomers. We need power to be overcomers. There is a way to escape. There's a way to be an overcomer. Revelation 3 verse 21 again says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to men. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. If you experience temptation, you're normal. The Bible says it's common to man. But this, this verse is exciting. I, this, this is beautiful. It says that God has his eye on you. He's got your back. It says he won't let anything through to you that you can't resist, that you can't take care of. There is a way for you to be an overcomer of any temptation that comes your way. God personally is watching you, and he won't let anything through to you that you can't handle. That's tremendous. God's filtering it for you specifically. There's three primary areas where temptations come from. Temptations come from the world, from the flesh, and from the devil. You know, I think sometimes we give the devil a little too much credit for temptations when really our flesh, our flesh, our desires of our flesh tempt us sometimes. The world outside, the, the pressures from the world, they tempt us. That's a temptation to us. 
Pressures from our flesh. And the devil sends us temptations. I would like to explore three words tonight for you to remember. Three words against these three areas of temptation. Three words to help you remember to how to resist these temptations. The key word to ward off temptations from the world is faith. Faith. 1 John 5 verse 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now what's the world? What's the world? Sorry, I, I, I love some response. I, I, maybe you caught that by now. Go ahead. You, you can. What's that? Okay. What else? Okay. Lust of the eyes. There's that whole list there. Three things. Lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Uh, what's the other one? Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That kind of has to do with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? I think when the things in this world keep me from seeking God, they keep me from loving God, or they take my, me away from loving God, when the things in this world, that's worldly. That's worldly. When, it's, a, it's a mind thing. It's a, it's a mind. To, uh, to th- it's a thinking process. When the world keeps me from having a, a relationship with God, when they keep me from serving Him faithfully, that's worldly. What are some temptations that would come from the world? What does the world go after? What are some things? Power, popularity, fame, recognition. That's right. Money. Oh, they got to drive for money. From one thrill to the next thrill. Outer beauty. Outer beauty. Those are all temptations that come from the world. You know, the, the people from the world are also, they're wanting satisfaction just like you and I. But what makes a person worldly is looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. We're looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. They think that fame, being a star, could give them some satisfaction. Oh, if only they could have that nice car, or a huge house, or that pretty woman, or go on all kinds of trips. Some spend most of their money on on being up to date with clothes and cosmetics. Because after all, outward beauty is what brings us acceptance and satisfaction. I believe there are some celebrities that have all these things, all of them, but are some of the loneliest, unfulfilled people in the world. Now faith, faith is what makes Jesus real to us. 
Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith that what God says about riches will truly make me sad, will truly bring satisfaction and will guard against the temptation that the world would like to bring me in this area. Money equals power. The American dream. Be able to live like you want, etc. Is that God's standard? You know what God says about, uh, about this, about riches? This is God's standard in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Faith helps me believe that. Faith helps me believe that. God says if you are godly and content, you're rich. Faith is believing what the Lord says about outward beauty is really how it is. And not what the world says outward beauty does. The world says in order to be attractive, you need physical beauty. You know what the Bible says? In Proverbs 31, verse 30. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. That's what the Bible says. Faith helps me believe that. Faith helps me put that into practice. Faith in believing what God says about beauty is true, and that's what I'll work on. Faith is believing the Son of God, that He has all things and knows all things, the best things, the only things that will make me truly happy, satisfied, and fulfilled. 1 John 2 verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty strong language. Seems to indicate that if we love the world, it's because the love of the Father is not in us. In other words, the love of the world is a symptom that the love of the Father is not in us. Now, if you have a vehicle and you'd be going down the road and all of a sudden that little light comes on, it says oil. I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to carry a little hammer in your car. And when that light comes on, you just get that little hammer and you go, pump, and you can go on your way rejoicing. You just fix the problem, right? No. If you don't stop and fix it, there's going to be a devastating result. You're going to have a failure. So it is in your journey of life. When you find yourself loving the world, it's the red light on your dash, the warning sign that the love of God is lacking in your life and that if it's not taken care of, it will bring disaster. I believe that red light would read faith. Faith. You need faith. A faith overhaul. And how do we get a faith overhaul? The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's how you get a faith overhaul. Number two, the second word, against the temptations of the flesh, the key word is flight. F-L-I-G-H-T. Flight. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, it says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 
Here it tells us to get up and flee youthful lusts. And he's not only talking to the youth. He's talking to all of us. But not only does he tell us to flee, but what to do when we flee. He gives us the remedy for lust. Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, it says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. When it comes to sins of the flesh, we are supposed to be first-class cowards. We're supposed to run. Get out. Get away. Our flesh, we cannot handle those temptations. We'll get sucked in. And then it's often so hard to let go. And besides, there's usually lifelong consequences. Consider Joseph. What if Joseph would have said, now, Miss Potiphar, let's discuss this thing a little bit. Let's discuss what effect it's going to have on us. Or if he would have said, let's get down and pray about this thing before we do such an act. No, Joseph didn't do that. He got out. You know, sometimes we do that. We know we're in a dangerous situation. We pray, but we stay. The Bible says, get away, get out, get up and get out of there. Genesis 39.10 says, And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or be with her. I remember an old man in our community. He told me this story one time. He was on a job one day. He was working inside a house. And I'm supposing it was a remodel job. Because only the woman was home. And just what she said, where, where he could find her if he needed something, and I suppose it was her body language, but he said he became so uncomfortable that he left the job, and he never went back. He got someone else to go and finish the job. That was literally putting to practice what the Scripture says. Get out! Get away! Sometimes the way to escape is the king's highway, two legs and a hard run. So the key word for the sins of the flesh is flight. Number three. Lastly, the key word against the, the devil. The temptations of the spirit is fight. Fight. You're not to flee from the devil. He is to flee from you. Now, are you that scary? That you can make the devil flee from you? I say by no means. By no means whatsoever. There's only one that the devil is scared of, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. James 2 verse 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Oh, I believe in the presence of God. They tremble because they know they're doomed. And it will be God that will send them to that eternal doom. That's why I believe it's so important to heed the word of God when fighting the devil. It's very important to heed the word of God. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now I would like to suggest that the most important thing in this verse isn't resist. The most important thing in this verse is Submit. 
If you don't submit yourself to God, there will be no resisting. It says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We so desperately need the power of God to resist and make the devil flee. That, I believe, is why it's so important to submit to God and his word and fight the devil on that premise through his word. After all, didn't Jesus, when he was tempted once, twice, three times, all he did was quote scripture. He used scripture. The best thing to fight the devil with. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know, sometimes we try to argue with the devil. You'll never out-argue the devil. You have to fight him with the only weapon that will make him flee, and that's the Word of God. So in conclusion, overcome the world with faith, overcome the flesh by flight, and resist the devil with a fight, with the Word of God. Let's stand for closing prayer.